by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Well, we've been in a series called The Survival Kit, The Family Survival Kit, keeping us together, our families, and us as a family of God, I guess, together in turbulent times. Do you agree we're living in turbulent times? We started using Exodus chapter 20, starting in verse 3, the, uh, the Ten Commandments. And we started to see how the Ten Commandments apply to family life. And uh, if you hadn't been here for the last two Sundays, you can listen to our podcast on iTunes or um, Google Play or at our website, www.mypassion.church, and you can listen to all the sermons and so forth, and get caught up if you happen to miss. But today's message is entitled, Part 3, The Ten Commandments. Been kind of basic, Part 1, Part 2, Part 3, The Ten Commandments of Family. And if you're following along on your bulletin, you can fill that in. Turn to 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings 17, it's right before 1 and 2 Chronicles, 2 Kings In verse 1, it says, Now Elijah, who was from Tishbe and Gilead, told King Ahab, As surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, the God I serve, there will be no dew or rain the next few years until I give the word. Now you recognize Elijah. Surely he's a prophet of God. He's a guy on God's team. And you may know a little bit about King Ahab. He's like the worst king ever. He, he led the people of Israel into sin, probably like no king that had ever come before him. You might remember his wife, Jezebel, if that tells you anything. When God likes to look back and mention, you know, what not to do, he often mentions King Ahab in the Bible. So that's the kind of king we're talking about. He's got his kingdom set up in Israel, and I think his headquarters is in Samaria. And uh, he's an ungodly king. And so God sings, uh, sends this prophet, Elijah, and tells him there's fixing to be a drought. There's fixing to be a drought on disobedient Israel. Now, don't raise your hand, but as anybody's family in here feels like they're going through a drought, this might be the message for you today. Maybe it's... Now, I'm not saying every drought is from God, but this one is God's prophet Elijah you know he's God's man and during this drought he sent to live by a brook where there's plenty of water to drink doesn't have anything to eat but he doesn't need anything why because God is miraculously sending ravens to bring him food morning and evening can you imagine sitting there by the brook and birds start dropping off loaves of bread <laughs> Morning and noon, God is supernaturally taking care of his people during a drought. So this goes on 
And uh, then that brook finally dries up, and Elijah goes to live with a woman that God tells him, and, and she supernaturally has her dishes, won't run dry of oil and meal, and she's able to feed him and provide for him. God is supernaturally providing wherever this man goes. And at the end of three years, he shows back up to talk to Ahab again. Now, you would have thought, well, King Ahab had been looking for him, and that's what you would expect. I mean, I would have been looking for, has anybody seen Elijah? Because, you know, we're suffering this drought, and people are dying, and our livestock are dying off. It's just terrible in the land. Somebody find Elijah. Let's repent and get right before God. But not King Ahab. He's looking for Elijah, all right, but for a different reason. He wants to kill him. But three years later, Elijah shows up on the scene. And what does Ahab do? He calls him a troublemaker. You troublemaker? No, not that, that we had anything to do with it. You had something. It's because of you, Elijah, that we're having this drought. He takes no responsibility for his own actions or his own wickedness. Have you noticed that, that in society today? That they tend to blame the Christians for things that are going on? It's like if they could get rid of us, none of this bad stuff would be happening to them. It's because we're the ones telling them, don't do that. Don't put your hand on that hot stove or you'll get burnt. It's our fault that they get burnt. That's sort of the way people view Christians in, the, in society today. If they could get rid of us, man, they could just escape the, the wages of their own disobedience. But that's not really how it works in real life, is it? If you go on down 1 Kings 18, we'll pick up the story. <laughs> in verse 18 it says, Elijah says, I have made no trouble for Israel. You and your family are the troublemakers. You have refused to obey the commands of the Lord and worship the image of Baal instead. Now see, Baal is a false god of their day. We have false gods in our day, obviously. Muhammad, Allah, Buddha, so forth. We have all these. And, and people follow these false gods, right? Well, they were following this false god called Baal. And Elijah, he decides, well, actually, he didn't decide. God told him to challenge those false gods. He said, here's what are we going to do. You get all your false gods together and meet me at Mount Carmel, and we'll see who is God. So imagine this, there's 450 prophets of Baal, there's 400 or so prophets of Asherah, and I don't know if they wanted to, to this challenge or not, because if you're following a false god, you probably don't have a lot of confidence in your god. But anyway, he says it before the king, so the king is like, okay, let's all meet at Mount Carmel. You can imagine the king's got all his servants and everything, and they're having to gather up picnic stuff and, you know, and get the limo ready for Ahab to ride in. That They probably toted him on their shoulders or whatever, and they're getting all their stuff together, all the house and the servants of King Ahab, and, and all the people of the city of Samaria come out to watch, probably thousands of people. So they all uh, meet together down at Mount Carmel. And this is what happens. In verse uh, 21, it says, Then Elijah stood in front of them and said, How long? Imagine that. This one man. He's done called this big, big shindig, and the whole city comes out. He's got 850 prophets against him. 
The whole town is really against him. He's a man standing alone. And he's out there, and he stood up and says, How much longer will you waver hobbling between two opinions? Say two opinions. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. He basically gives them the hands. You know, I always talk about how I gave my children the hands. You want to act right or you want to act wrong, get a whooping. I just gave them the, you know, most of the time if you'll lay it out before people and make it clear. And so Elijah gives them the hands. If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. He, he makes it clear. But it says the people were completely silent. Why were they silent? Were they unsure? Were they, hmm, this guy's standing up. He seems awful confident. I don't, I kind of have been following this Baal guy, but he ain't never done nothing for me. Maybe I could be wrong. Let's, let's see how this plays out. So the people are silent. And Elijah said to them, I am the only prophet of the Lord who is left, and Baal has 450 prophets. I doubt that. God always has a remnant, but sometimes it seems, it, it seems awful lot like you are the only one when you stand up, doesn't it? He says, now bring two bulls. Say bull. Two bulls. The prophet of Baal may choose whichever one they wish and cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood of their altar, but without setting fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood of the altar, but not set fire to it. Then, call on the name of your little G-God, and I will call on the name of the big L Lord. The God who answers by setting fire to the wood is the true God. And all the people agreed. Because they're just sitting back watching. They're not asked to do anything. Okay, let's see. So guess what happened? your response I'll tell you later get with the program folks you know I'm not going to finish this early story right I got to keep you in suspense till the end but we'll get back to the story you probably already know how it turns out but let's recap real quick we've been through seven commandments so far in our series the tenth uh, commandment do not covet the ninth do not lie do not steal do not commit adultery do not murder the fifth honor thy mother and father and the fourth remember the sabbath day to keep it holy so that leaves us with three more commandments so let's uh put three more items today in our family survival kit we're looking at the commandments and how they may pertain to our our home and our family at home right the third commandment is do not take the lord's name vain I wrote this and it's on your sheet it's got a little place for you to fill in the blank anytime we use the name of God flippantly or in a way that does not convey our deepest respect and awe, we defame the Lord and degrade the very reason for our own existence if we're just using the name of Jesus or God or saying it in a cuss word or throwing it out there as slang, and we're not conveying our deepest respect and awe for that name, we're not only defaming the Lord, taking away from His glory, but we're basically 
denying the reason for our own existence. Why were we put here? Why do you think God created you? To glorify Him. So if you're going around speaking of His name flippantly, you're basically debasing the reason for your own existence, if you think about it, right? It's certainly not something that we would do standing before the Lord in the fullness of His glory and splendor and His holiness. It's not something we're going to do in heaven, in other words, right? We wouldn't do that. Why do we feel like we can just say His name any old kind of way while we're down here on the earth? Like we're going to stand before Him one day, I'm not just kidding about all that, Lord. You know? Oh, you got a lot of explaining to do, you know? So in our homes, that's a good place to begin to teach your children to honor the Lord. You know, if they hear his name using cuss words and all this kind of stuff, and then you pretend that you're, you're holier than thou on Sundays, what is that showing our children? That, it, that all this Christianity stuff is a bunch of hypocrites, and they don't really honor him at all. But that's not us. That's not us at all. Teach them that there's great power in the name of Jesus. The reason we finish our prayers in the name of Jesus is because God told us that's what we do to get our prayers answered. In the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess to the glory of God. See, that's bringing glory to God when that name is mentioned. It's a name that, in the end, everybody will bow to. We just choose to do it now because we got a little common sense. In the name of Jesus, it's the only name that you can have life. There's no other name by which a man can be saved, right? And when you ask the Father for something, you do it, like I said, in the name of Jesus. And it says you'll receive whatever you ask, that your joy may be full. You said it's dry in your house? And we need to start reverencing the name of Jesus. When you're gathered together in his name, it says there he is in the midst of us. We can experience the presence of God when the name of Jesus is lifted up, like we have already this morning. When we say he is good, not he's all right. You know. He's okay, you know. I go to church on Sunday, sometimes. No, he is my life. In that name, you can cast out devils. You can speak in new tongues. You can lay hands on the sick and expect them to recover. There's power in the name of Jesus. We receive the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. It says in John 14, 26, I can assure you that the name of Jesus is properly respected in heaven. I tell you what, I bet there's reverence in heaven when the name of Jesus is spoken. The angels must literally gasp when they hear us silly humans down here using the name flippantly. Can you imagine how they must feel? Why does God allow this? We wouldn't do, you know, there's no way we would say that. Well, who are these silly humans that think that they can talk about God and use his name so flippantly? That's my, day, that's my word for the day, flippantly. I don't know what it means, but... All right, I wrote something else. Not that it matters, but... <laughs> for your family to maintain any sense of order in a world rapidly descending into chaos, you must properly 
reverence God's name in word and action in your lives. What I'm saying is, how many can look around and see the world is descending into chaos? As there's no respect in our nation anymore. No respect for one another. No respect for the police officers. No respect from our governing authorities. When late night hosts can get on TV and cuss our president and say all manner of evil. We have lost the idea of respect. Not just for the person, but even for the office that people hold. And when you begin to do that, a nation will descend into chaos, and we see it on our streets. But to maintain a sense of order, don't you, would you like chaos in your house or order? Chaos, order. Chaos, order. <laughs> I don't like chaos. I am, man, I'm one of those guys, you can see how I got my stuff arranged up here right now. If you want to think, get out of, you know, I'm going to straighten it up. I do not like descending into chaos. I don't like darkness. I don't like all that yucky stuff. I don't like confrontation. I want to get along with everybody. I want to respect people that I'm supposed to respect. Certainly, I want to respect the Lord God so that I can maintain a sense of order. I want there to be a sense of order in my house where people play their roles and do the things that they're supposed to do, like God tells us a family. See, to society today, they, they don't care what God has to say about family. They just want to create their own idea of family. And it doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that at all. So, don't take the name of the Lord in vain in your family, in your house, as a person. The second commandment, do not make yourselves an idol. Today, we don't just carve idols and bow down and worship them. We build huge stadiums so that we can go and be fans, fanatics of our idols. Right? <laughs> you want to see some real worship going on on Sunday? Wait till the NFL kicks off again, you know? College football. Boy, there's a lot of worship going on on Sundays. We make TV shows to celebrate our idols. We want to become idols ourselves, American idols. Because that's where the, the fame is, the power, the money. There's a lot. That's big business being an idol. It's big business. And we want to be idols. And many times we teach our kids, we encourage our kids, this is what's important in life. You need to get your 15 minutes of fame. Whatever it takes. Say whatever you need to say to get in front of the camera. Get under the spotlight. That's where you belong. Am I telling the truth or just preaching real good? Thank you, thank you. I need encouragement. Let me say this before I go on any further. I told Angie this morning, I said, you know what? When God gave me the idea to use the Ten Commandments about the family, I, I didn't realize that the Ten Commandments were given to con convict us. The Ten Commandments were here to show us what's wrong. It was afterwards that God showed His grace that the commandments, you know, made grace seem all that wonderful. So as we're going through these Ten Commandments, I said, you know what, Angie, it feels like I'm just hammering people about family stuff. And I'm driving them down, and I don't know if they can stand three Sundays in a row. 
So I thought to myself, next Sunday is Mother's Day. And man, we're going to let the grace flow on Mother's Day. So y'all hold on. Y'all bear with me today. First and foremost, our families must be devoted to God. Or else you'll have that chaos, right? The only true heroes in heaven are going to be heroes of faith. Those who believed God, trusted God, those who pursued God's plan and, and produced eternal fruit in their life. Not temporary fruit, eternal fruit. Really what matters in your, your life is what are you doing that's going to impact eternity? Because you're only going to be here this long. But eternity never stops. And so if you've got just a little common sense, it would tell you don't invest in this. Invest this in this. Mark 8.36, Jesus says, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world? but lose your own soul. Was it really worth it? 70 or 80, 90, 100 years here on the earth? Man, you really lived it up. And what about the next trillion? So in the family, it's nice that you dress your babies in Paisley Ralph Lauren onesies. And you drive them to Mother's Day out in your Cadillac Escalade. They're ruling the roost in your 4,000 square foot house in a gated community. It's great that they stay on your health care until they're 26. And they're in their sixth year of figuring out their major in college. It's great that you give them all this life has to offer. But what about the plans to meet up later in heaven. Let me ask you a question. Is there anything in your life that if God asked you to give it up, you couldn't do it? Are you holding on to anything so tight that if God says, give it up, you couldn't do it? A career... Maybe it's a dream. Maybe it's something that you think God gave you, but he asked you to give it up. You know, God gave Abraham a son, but then he asked him to give it up. That just came to me. It's like a light bulb. Whatever that is that you couldn't give up for God, if he asked you to, it has become an idol in your life. If there's things in your family you can't give up. You know, we go, to, we go to this every Sunday and we just can't make church. But God's asking you to go to church. You've identified an idol in your life. You know, the rich young ruler could have followed Jesus. He could have walked with the master. Jesus said, come follow me. But he couldn't give up his money. And he walked away sad. Why? Because money was his idol. He chose an idol, a stack of green paper or silver coins that can't talk, can't help him out of any problems over a relationship 
with God Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. And he walked away sad. Charles Spurgeon says, Nothing teaches us about the preciousness of our creator as much as when we learn the emptiness of everything else. Nothing teaches us about the preciousness of our creator as when we learn the emptiness of everything else. King Solomon was the richest of rich. He was the wisest of wise of his day. He had everything that you could ever desire. He pursued building great monuments to himself, and he had the people and the resources to do it. Didn't fulfill him. He pursued women. Boy, he had more concubines than I ever seen. I don't know what a concubine is. I used to think that was what you drove and picked beans with. But anyway, he had wives and concubines. You know, I guess he got his wife to help him drive the concubine. I don't know. But he had all this stuff. He said he pursued folly. That means he just got drunk all the time and had a good time. He didn't, he didn't, you know, his bills were paid. He didn't need a job. Some of us, we think, man, when I retire, oh, I'm going to be set then. Life is going to be good. And we live our whole life waiting for those five years we have left by the time retirement age, you know. I mean, I didn't mean to get personal. But, but he did all these things, and what was his answer to it? It was all like spitting in the wind. It was folly. It was, it was vanity. What does the word vanity mean? It was about self, and self doesn't fulfill. He said, here's what I have learned, just to follow the Lord and do what he says and give him glory. He said, that's much better than having all the riches of the greatest king who had ever lived to that time. Apostle Paul. He said, I count everything but dung compared with the excellency of the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. He had it all too. He was respected. A Pharisee. Top echelon. Respected. But he said, man, that was no good. That's less than dung compared with just knowing him. That I might know him. Resurrection is resurrection power and even his suffering you know paul suffered this is after he had been shipwrecked after he had been beaten after all these things stoned and left for dead with the cares of the churches you think we had a rough weekend you ought to walk around with paul for a couple of weeks he's let down in a basket one day he's chased out of town the next you know he's the one facing the crowds by himself he said, man, there was times when everybody left me and I was all alone, but the Lord Jesus, he never left me. He said, it's all done compared with the excellency of the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, just to know him. Don't get me to preaching now. What can compare with a relationship with God? Do you realize the privilege that we have to be able to come boldly into his throne and obtain mercy and grace in our time of need? That you can close your eyes right now and connect with God Almighty. Are we so short-sighted that we can't see that? Just because we can't see with our eyes, just because we're looking through a glass darkly now, is because we... 
no, we're not there yet. We'll figure all that. No, you're there. Know you not that the kingdom of God is within you now. When you got born again, you have heaven on the inside of you. Heaven has already started for most of us. And I, for one, am not living it to the fullest. And I can look around and say, I'm not alone. We're worried. Martha, Martha. You're troubled about so many things. But know you not, if he gave up his own son, won't he also freely give us everything else that we need? Don't make me get off my notes any further. See, I, if, if it comes to preaching about the goodness of God, I don't need no notes. I got notes. So in your family, what comes before your faithfulness to God? Your faithfulness to his church and to his plan, because you know his church is his plan on this earth. What, what comes before your relationship with God and your family? And my question is, what are you going to do about it? It's good to hear a sermon, but in the long run, it ain't going to make a hill of beans if you don't put it into action, if you don't do something with what you learned. We're not hearers only, but we're doers of the Word of God. And so when you recognize, and God's speaking to some of you right now, saying this is an idol in your life, or this is hindering your walk with me, what are you going to do about it? The last commandment, first commandment, do not have any other gods before me. Is Muhammad a god? Look at your neighbor and say, dead. He gone. Thank you, Tony. Is Buddha a god? Look at your other neighbor and say, dead. He gone. Is Satan a god? He wishes. But he's so far from a god. Jesus said, I beheld that sucker hit the ground like lightning fall. Boom! Take that. <laughs> oh! <laughs> Here's the one that we really need to fear. Have you decided to be your own God? Because that's the God most people follow. I would, I would guess most of the people that claim to be following Muhammad and claim to be following Buddha and some of them that claim to be following Jesus are really following themselves. Because they're sitting on the throne of their life. They have no regard for what God may want me to do in this life. They're just going to do their plans. They may not ever even thought that God had a plan for their life. And that's so far from the truth. I can't comprehend it. You were born with destiny. You were born with a plan. Some of us are going to get to heaven and God's going to say, what would you do with what I gave you to do? And you say, well, I, I did all this, God. And he said, well, that's great, but you were supposed to do all this. If everybody did what they wanted to do, we saw that in the Old Testament. Everybody did what was right in his own eyes. God had to bring a flood. Because it got so bad. Maybe we need to think about doing what God would have us do. Just a thought. Or some of us, check this out. 
we invent the God that we want to serve. We may call him Jesus, but when we look in the Bible, we see his grace. That's the Jesus I serve, but when we see his judgment, I don't believe in none of that. But let's go over to Ephesians. Let's go over. And we pick and choose, and we make him the God we want him to be. That's no different than the cults have done. But many people that go to Baptist churches, go to Pentecostal churches, go to Catholic churches, they do the same thing. We can't make him what we want him to be. He is who he is. He is the great I am, and his word tells us who he is. So if you don't, don't make excuses for God either. You don't have to get among your friends and they say, well, I won't serve a God that says, that condones homosexuality. Well, I'm sorry, but that's the one I'm serving because that's who he is. It doesn't matter whether I personally agree or not. There is an absolute truth, and his name is Jehovah God. We can have our own opinions. But as for me and my opinion... I'm going to begin to try to line mine up with the truth because it's a fool who does anything different. Amen? Well, I'm really preaching hard today. We're going to have to have a big showdown next Sunday. Sometimes I think, I don't know how long y'all going to put up with me. I found one list naming 4,980 little G-gods man has come up with. And I'm sure they left a bunch out. That's just the ones that he could, that he has heard of people worshiping. Voltaire says, if God created us in his own image, we have more than reciprocated. <laughs> in other words, we have tried to make him in our image. More than he's tried to make us in his image. We were made in God's image. We need to be who God created us to be and stop trying to make him who we want to create him to be. I know that's hard for some of you because some of you are, are falling in with the world's standards about social issues. And you're moved by fads and moved by the direction of the morality in our nation today. And you can begin to sympathize with them. But I can tell you everything God does is just and true. And if he says something is wrong, there's a reason it's wrong. And he's not to doing it just to be bigoted. He's not doing it just to, to uh, whatever. He's just doing it because he loves you. He knows what's best for mankind. Apostle Paul preached in... Athens, Greece. You look around. I perceive you about the most religious folks I never did see. That's the guy Sheffield says that. He, he said, you got gods over here, you got gods over there, you got idols set up everywhere. He said, I've never seen such religious folk. He said, but on the way in, I did see one idol you had set up over here said to the unknown God. Because just in case you missed one, he said, let me tell you about the unknown God. The one who created all things. The only true God. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
the one who flung the stars into existence, the one who gave breath and life and the beating of every heart, the one who is and who is to come. Always, eternally. So was Baal a god in Elijah's day? Most people thought so. Let's turn back to 1 Kings again. You're still there, verse 25 of chapter 18. Pick up our story. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, remember where we're at now, we're at the foot of Mount Carmel. The whole town is there. Thousands of folks gathered around. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, you go first, for there are many of you. Choose one of the bulls and prepare it and call on the name of your God, but do not set fire to the void. In other words, don't be cheating. I've got an eye on you. you know. So, you can imagine, these 850 priests, they set up their altar, they put the wood on it, and they cut up the bull and they put it on it, and they're walking around and they begin their religious chants or whatever they do. I don't know if they turned and faced Mecca or whether they had to face a certain direction or what if they had to, I know they began to cut themselves at some point and bleed for their God. Thank goodness our God bled for us. They're doing all these things, all these religious things and they're calling on the name of Baal. They're maybe calling on Asherah too, I don't know. Maybe they're twin gods or something. And they're calling on them, come down, oh, show yourself with fire. And they're there morning till noon. Not surprisingly, nothing happens. Because they're serving nothing gods. So Elijah, he thinks it's funny. He knew nothing was going to happen. He let them do their show. Then he begins to ridicule them. <laughs> Shout louder, guys! Maybe he can't hear you. Maybe he's hard. Maybe your God's hard of hearing. I don't know. Maybe, maybe he's on vacation. Did you check his schedule? I bet he's in the bathroom. That's what he is. I'm not making this up. You can read it. The Bible is really a pretty good book. <laughs> it's funny. Maybe your God can't hear. Maybe, it's, maybe he needs to turn his hearing aid up. You know, I made that one up, but... But anyway, they start shouting louder. And like I said, they start cutting themselves until pretty soon they're about out of blood and it says they're wobbling around the altar. They've given their all. And their God does not respond. So mercifully, Elijah says, all right, all right, that's enough of that. Everybody gather around here for the real deal. And he begins to repair the altar of the Lord. He takes 12 uncut stones and he builds an altar. Each stone representing a family, a tribe of Israel. See, God is always about family. And he builds this altar and he puts wood on it and he cuts his bull up and he puts the bull on the altar. And then he, then he digs a trench around and people are thinking, what is he doing with the trench? Then Elijah says, go get me a bucket of water. And so they bring in this big bucket of water, and he says, pour it on. And he pours it on the bull and on the wood, and it drains down on the altar. He says, go fill it up again. 
And so they're thinking to themselves, he knows how a fire works, right? <laughs> this ain't going to work. So he, they, and he hits it a second time. And he ain't through yet. He said, go do it again just to make sure you understand what's happening here. And he puts another bucket of water on the altar and on the wood and on the sacrifice. And it drains down the stones and fills up the trench all the way around the altar. Then in 1 Kings 18, 36, the story concludes. At the usual time for the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and he prayed. O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all this at your command. The Bible says that Elijah was a man of like passion as we are. In other words, he was just a man. But by faith, he was able to declare it wasn't going to rain for the space of three years, and it didn't rain. And then by faith, he prayed, and it rained again. See, if he, he, he did this at God's command. If you will trust God, God will start speaking to you to do stuff. And he, you will see miracles in your life. Oh, Lord, answer me, it says in verse 37. Answer me so that the people will know that you, O oh Lord, are God. That you have brought them back to yourself. And see, God is always bringing people back to himself. That is his M.O. That is what he does. He's not willing that any should perish. He is chasing you down. Always bringing people back to himself. Verse 38 says, immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust. It even licked up all the water in the trenches. And when all the people saw it, they fell face down on the ground and they cried out, the Lord, he is God. The Lord is God. Those people who had been silent, now they're shouting, the Lord is God. They're on their knees now. Then Elijah commanded, seize all the prophets of Baal and don't let a single one escape. So the people seized them all, and Elijah took them down to the Kishon Valley, and he killed the prophets there, all 850 dead. It's time for us as a nation, it's time for us as the people of God to cry out and say, the Lord Jehovah, he is God. It's time for us to take a stand when nobody else will. It's time for us to kill off all the false prophets in our life. Am I telling the truth? It's time to not let a single one escape. Make sure they're dead in our families. Make sure they're dead in our lives. Don't let anything come between you and God. Make sure they're dead. There was a 911 operator. She got a call. She said, yes, 911. The guy on the other end says, I'm out here deer hunting with my friend, and I came back, and he, he must have fallen out of his stand. I think he's dead. She says, well, go make sure he's dead. He said, okay, and he put the phone out, and you hear a blam. Okay, he's dead. Now what? Make sure they're dead. Make sure. Don't give me the thumbs down. That joke was voted the best joke on the Internet. <laughs> oh. 
You know, like Elijah, sometimes we feel like it, I'm the only one serving God. You may feel like you're the only one serving God in your family, or you may feel like your family is the only God, the family on the street serving God or in your neighborhood. And there's always going to be 850 prophets from false gods. There's gonna, they're going to be besieging us, and most of them are on the cable TV or on the Internet or on our watches or on our phone. Somebody telling us how stupid we are for believing in God. This is a better way. Come do this. Wear this. <laughs> Look like this. Cut yourself. Bleed. Do this. We may even have people in our family that are enticing us to follow after a lie. We get ridiculed and called troublemakers for taking a hard stand for the truth like Elijah did. Can you feel how Elijah must have felt? It takes a real person of courage to stand up for the truth in a world gone wacky. But there is a crowd that's just quiet. They're silent, they're listening, and they're watching. He said he was a Christian. He, he said God, he was in the jailhouse. He got jailhouse religion. We're going to see how that works out. I know him. I went to school with that boy. He ain't never going to change. I know. I'm going to sit back, I'm going to watch this, then I'm going to laugh. I'm going to laugh later. And so they're quiet. They may be in your family, may be your co-workers, may be your friends, but they're watching. You know what they're going to see? They're going to see God sending ravens to feed you when they're starving to death. They're going to see you getting your fill of the living water while they're thirsting and dry and weary. You know what they're going to see? They're going to see God giving you courage to stand up and do great things. They're going to see a change in you. They're going to see God proving himself in your life, that he is real through your life. And you know what? They're going to see him burn up all your bull. They're going to say, there must be a God in heaven because they used to be full of bulls. but God has burned up their bull. And when they see that, they're going to want to kill off their false, false prophets too. And they're going to want to call on the name of the Lord. You know, back before I was saved, the temptation is, no, don't get saved. Don't give your life to Jesus. You're going to lose all your friends. You won't be able to hang out with them. You're going, not going to have any fun anymore. All these lies from the devil. Let me tell you something. You can hang with your friends and you can say, well, I'm not giving my friends up and you can make them the idol in your life and then you're all going to be in a dry and weary place on this earth together the rest of your life and then you're going to die and you're all going to spend eternity in hell together. If you really care, but I care about my friends so much. If you care about your friends, you've got to come out from among them and be ye separate. You have got to stand up and take a stand in this generation and show them there is a different way. Lies are not going to help them. Joining in with the lies is not going to help your friends at all. It's standing up for the truth. If you will stand, you're going to have to put them aside for a little while. I had to do it. I had to let go of my old friends. But guess what? They were sitting back quiet. And they was watching. And then guess what happened? 
when the things got bad for them, when they saw my bull get burned up, they said, there's something to that. Now, tell me about this God that you serve. And I've led many of them to the Lord. And now we're going to have eternal friendships, not temporary ones. If you care about these people, if you care about your family, if you care about your friends, you have to think about eternal matters. Joshua 24, 14, Joshua says, so, the, so fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone, singleness of mind, singleness of heart, singleness of purpose. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose whom you're going to serve this day. What, Bob Dylan got a song? We're all going to serve somebody, you know. Everybody's serving somebody. If you ain't serving the Lord, you're serving the devil. And I'll tell you who's a better master. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates? Or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whom I and you now live? And he finishes, as for me and my house. No, he says, it's me from, and my family. Me and my family. Say, my family. We serve the Lord. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.